Okay, we are live. Hi, this is William Ramsey. Welcome to William Ramsey Investigates. On today's show, I have a very special guest. His name is Ken Griffith, and he's been doing some research into the finding of really an old ancient relic, something that uh, goes back to the Bible, Genesis, and that is Noah's Ark. And if you're watching on YouTube, you can see an article that a very detailed and very well-researched article that he wrote titled Candidate Site for Noah's Ark, Altar, and Tomb. And Ken Griffith served as an officer in the U.S. Army Infantry. He's worked as a software developer and missionary in East Africa. And in association with Tidewater Bible College, he's currently researching the Neolithic era and its implications for biblical chronology. And that ties in to this article as well that we're going to talk about in detail. So, Ken Griffith, thank you for joining us. I appreciate it. Thank you, William. It's a pleasure. Awesome. Cool. So people uh, who haven't heard your background, can you talk where your interest in, in looking into this site uh, began and how you what led you to write this article, Candidate Site for Noah's Ark? Yeah, certainly. I'm not a professional um, historian or archaeologist, but I've been very interested in ancient history. I've been working for about 14 years on a book on the chronology of ancient history. And in the process of researching that book, uh, ran into a number of problems with uh, Babel being in lower Mesopotamia, which, you know, Babylon and what's today Iraq. And I was looking for um, a better solution to, to the problem. Um, something that I had found was that there was an ancient king named Sargon of Akkad. And Sargon of Akkad claimed that he had invaded this country to the north called Subartu. And that after he conquered them, he says, I dug dirt from the pit of Babylon and I built a new Babylon outside of my city of Akkad. And so that got me wondering if the Tower of Babel was in a completely different location from what was later known as Babylon. So um, in the course of researching that, I found this valley in Turkey that's on the upper Tigris River. And it still has the name Shinar. It's pronounced Chinar there. And there were four cities along this river, and two of them still seem to have the same names as uh, four of Nimrod's first four cities. And so um, I was really just working on researching this paper I was going to write on a possible location for the Tower of Babel, an upper Mesopotamian Babel site. And I, in the process of researching the area, came across this mountain called Karakadag, which is only 50 kilometers to the west of the area that I was looking at, a uh, potential Babel site. And um, as I was looking at this mountain, I started finding geoglyphs using Google Earth. Geoglyphs are gigantic pictures drawn on the ground. And this mountain has quite a few of them on the northwest side. And um, that kind of opened up a can of worms. And uh, my co-author, Daryl White, we started to research it. And we just took a comprehensive approach. We looked at historical claims of church fathers. We looked at um, biological, like uh, DNA studies of early plants and animals, um, domestication of grapevines, the first founder crops. And we also looked at archaeology, and we found that the oldest known urban uh, civilization called the pre-pottery Neolithic, that it was centered on this area. And so um, that kind of one thing led to another. And next thing you know, we were writing a paper about a potential 
site for Noah's Ark, even though and we is that is that, that sorry to interrupt Ken, but is that the correct location on the map that I'm showing on YouTube with the red dot? Is that where Karakadag is? You yes, you okay. have nailed it. Okay, cool. So we're we're there, and Mount Ararat is north of that, correct? It's, it's up near the border of Armenia. So if you go up to your right, above Lake Van, if you move your cursor, um, right. So no. it's definitely in a kind of a different. That's the assumed location right there is Ararat. That's right. So you're probably this potential area is 400 miles south west of Ararat. Exactly. Gotcha. Sorry. So please continue. It, would it be possible for you to pull up a Wikipedia page called the Absolutely. pre modern Neolithic? Yeah. Pre-Pottery Neolithic. Let's try pre-Pottery Neolithic. Pre-Pottery. It's one word, but that'll work too. There you go. Okay, there it is. I just saw it. There you go. Click the second one down. There you go. Click area A and B, huh? You had it. I was going to have you click on that map. All right, let's go back. Click on this map. Gotcha. Zoom in on it. Yeah. Okay. So this this is really important, and I think this is probably the one thing that I put in that paper that's new in the discussion of this whole question of Noah's Ark and this, the beginning of humanity after the flood and the, the origins of human um, civilization. So that that is a map right there of these oldest um, settlements that have been found. And Neolithic just means that they were... Um, it means the new stone age. It means that they were, they did not yet have bronze and iron tools. They were mainly using stone like arrowheads and stone axes. And this, this um, culture is unique because they didn't use pottery. They used stone jars. And I think the assumption of archeologists is well, they, it never occurred to them to make ceramics. So they just hollowed out stones and used these stone jars. But the strange thing about it is a lot of these stone jars are made out of really hard materials like diorite, which has a hardness of nine. And so, um, and some of them are, they, they look like they've been made on a lathe. They are super thin, like it's a, a jar made of stone, but as thick as a piece of cardboard. And so they find these uh, in burials of this earliest culture. And as you can see, um, it kind of looks like the Fertile Crescent, but it has a, one leg going off toward Greece. And um, I noticed that, that that looks pretty close to the description in Genesis 10 of the early tribes, where it says that the tribes of um, Javan, the son of Japheth, they went to the west along the coast. And the tribes of Canaan went along the coast to the south. And the tribes of uh, Yachtan, who was a son of Shem, or a great-grandson of him, they went to the west, I mean, sorry, to the east. And there we have three horns like that coming from this uh, one area. And if you go to the very center of that area, you will find the mountain that, I, that is called Karakadag. I'm sorry to interrupt, but one of the interesting things about that biblical story is Japheth went down towards what present-day Israel and Jepo, or Japo, which became Tel Aviv, was based upon his name. Oh, ancient city. Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, Interesting. Interesting. All right. Sorry. Sorry. Please continue. Yeah. So we basically, instead of 
looking for Noah's Ark because of, I guess, uh, this mountain or that mountain. We just looked at where where is the middle, the dead center of the oldest human settlements on Earth, and uh, this appears to be to be it. So then we also um, did research on plant biology, and some of this research came out 20 years ago when they started using DNA. They started using DNA to try to find the origin of the crops that we use today, like wheat. There, there's emmer wheat, einkorn wheat, um, flax, chickpeas, lentils, and a couple other ones that are called the Neolithic founder crops. And they find all eight of these crops growing in this area, following a pretty close approximation of that exact um, distribution of the pre-pottery Neolithic. And they still find some of them growing wild on these mountains. So they trace back the DNA of the, the einkorn wheat all the way to the mountain Karajadah. Karakadag is how we say it in English. In Turkey, they call it Karajadah. Karajadah. Yeah. And so they found on the north side of that mountain, they found the wild wheat still growing there is the genetic ancestor of all the wheat that is grown um, around the world. Wow. And then there was a different study by a different group of scholars, and they were looking for the origin of grapevines, of when did humans domesticate grapevines. And they traced the grapevines, domesticated grapevines, right back to the same place. On the north side of that mountain, they said this is this is the valley or this, the mountains around this valley is where um, grapevines were first domesticated. And that's the mountain right there on the screen, right? Karakadash. Is that what it yes. looks like? Yes. Sorry. The one on the left looks like Ararat. The one on the right-hand side is Karajada. That's, okay. yeah. yeah. Gotcha. Another factor is this mountain. The old name of this mountain is Masis. That's, and that is what the Armenians today call Mount Ararat. Interesting. And um, the, in the Epic of Gilgamesh, the mountain is called Mashu, and it means high hill in Semitic. And most people don't realize that today, what is Armenia, the Armenians actually used to live in the region on the border of Syria and Turkey. Right. They used to all the way up until the genocide, right? In 18, 1910 or something, those genocides. Yeah, sorry. Yeah, that, yes. But even before that, I'd say about a thousand years before that, they started being driven northward and west, eastward out of their home gotcha. territory. So that's one reason you'll see a lot of um, Lebanese names that are Armenian, like uh, Salma Hayek. Hayek is an Armenian name, but, and that's because Lebanon used to be on the border or really part of the old uh, area called Armenia. Gotcha. So what I think has happened was, you know, ARC researchers have been looking at Mount Ararat in Armenia under the assumption that Armenia today is always where Armenia was before. And I think that what happened is as the Armenians were driven north, they took their place names with them and they named new places after the old places so just like just like new york is named after a city in in britain called york right yeah that makes sense yeah so the, the second thing is in the book of genesis it says that um the the ark came to rest in the mountains of rrt which could be Urartu. There's, there was a country called Urartu, and the southern border of Urartu was right about today, where the Turk, the border of Turkey is. So, where 
Karajada or Karakadag is today used to be the kingdom of Urartu in the past. Okay, I'm still with you. Okay. Yep. Oh, uh, I was going to go back to those uh, those stone jars of the pre-pottery Neolithic. Okay. Um, yeah, you could even look for um, you could look for pre-dynastic stone jar. Okay. If you want to see an image of these. Pre-dynastic stone jar. Yeah, a lot of them have been found as well in Egypt underneath the pyramid of Djoser. Um, Let's just type it into Google. Pre-dynastic stone jar. These are pictures of them. That's it. Okay. Yeah. Uh, really sophisticated and thin. Yeah. Yeah. Like the one, let's say, um, a lot of them are found in Egypt. I think they were carried there. But that one right there is about a perfect example uh, that has some Chinese writing on it. That That is a great example. Um, so that kind of stone has a hardness of uh, above seven. And you would. You would need, actually need um, diamond tools to be able to, to cut that, wow. uh, or else diamond grit. And the question is, how in the world did Neolithic people make that if they didn't even have metal tools? Well, we're told that Noah, um, in the Bible, he was told to store up great quantities of food and presumably water because he had to feed all those animals for a year and himself and maybe even a few years afterwards. And so he had to have had a lot as in thousands of mouse-proof containers to put food in. Um, and the question is, what did he use? Now, before the flood, Josephus says that Noah's family um, was associated with a, a temple near the entrance of the Garden of Eden where people came to worship um, uh, the God uh, Yahweh, you know, the God of the Bible, right. uh, who had kicked them out of the garden. They would come to the garden, they would come to the entrance and then they would offer sacrifices so that we were told about Cain and Abel offering sacrifices. And if Noah was the priest of that temple, he would have had presumably in his storehouse um, all of the offerings, you know, the containers from the offerings that had been made over the previous 1500 years. So I suspect that all these, because um, there's a great variety in these stone jars that are found in, in that area. Um, and I would not be surprised if he just, he had them and he used them and he used those as the, as the food and water containers on the ark. So after the, um, the ark had landed and the people had moved away from there, why would you make new pottery jars if you had this nice stone jar with a lid? <laughs> right, right. Uh, so I think that they got reused. They were valuable because they couldn't, they now didn't have the tools to make them anymore. So they probably got handed down a couple generations. And as the tribes moved away from the starting point, they they took them with them. And um, eventually they ended up being buried in graves or they got busted. But that, that I suspect, is the archaeological signature of the Ark, is wow. these the stone jars. So, Gotcha. Fascinating. <clears throat> very sophisticated. I mean, very hard to make. And obviously they last forever, right, unless you drop them or break them. Yeah, and some some of them are a lot more crude than that. That's obviously a, a really high quality one. There are some that look really simple, and I think obviously they had a, 
some of them were more valuable than others and the smaller ones could have been used for perfume and they probably would have been carried a lot further away. Whereas the big ones might've only been good for making beer or wine. Um, at Gobekli Tepe, they found a lot of, um, they were using stone jars for beer and wine. Oh, interesting. Yeah. So back to the mountain, uh, Karajada, what we found when we went there, um, Obviously, the main thing I was looking for was the site that I identified as potentially the Ark site and the tomb. Um, what we found was a lot of things on the mountaintop at the north and south end. There, um, the south end was really amazing. About 10 kilometers south of what we think is the Ark site, there are all these uh, hilltops that are terraced. And they're not terraced like strict bulldoze terraced, but they, you can see where there are um, rings of cleared space where they move stones out of the way so they could plant things. Um, if you can, can you do Google Earth on that thing? Uh, I, I, let me see if I can find Or it. even that, if you click, you can click on that, use that, click layers right down there near the bottom. There's a little square that says layers. Layers, yep. Click it. And now zoom in on that. So now you're looking at the satellite picture. Okay, now we wanna look about 10 miles south of that pin that you, you dropped. Keep going. Just below that road, there you go. There's there's like a peak there. Now zoom in on that peak, the southernmost. This peak right here? Yep. Zoom in on that. And right there, uh, you're, you're, it looks like a, a pimple or a rock, a black rock kind of go north of it a little bit. Right here? That right there. Uh -huh. That was a huge stone city of some kind, a stone village. There was no um, wall around it, but the blocks of stone in those walls, and you can zoom in and you can see that they're houses if you zoom in further. Right. Right. Um, go go up, up a little bit, look above it. You can see uh, some really good examples. Well, those, those walls were made out of stones that were two tons. I mean, those stones are huge. So whoever built them had the ability to move really big things. And then that, and that, that little black um, pile down there, that's, that's a huge tumulus, which means a, a tomb that's a pile of stones. And on top of it, there was a, um, like a dome, like a, it looked like a vault, like a dome vault that had broken and it had a window in it. Wow. And in the Bible, it tells us that, um, Noah and Ham had a falling out where Ham, there was the, the nakedness incident where Ham exposed him to his brothers. And according to the book of Jubilees, after that happened, Ham went and lived separately on the south side of the mountain. And so I suspect that this might actually have been the town where Ham moved, it, the, the town that Ham started. Now, if you go look a little bit to the west side of that, there's a road, look just to the west side of the road. West, Excuse me. So over here, the left side, the left side of the road. Okay, not quite that far. Zoom oh, in. This this road right here, right? Yeah, you're talking yep. about. Look, now look at that mountain just up at the top left corner. Zoom in on that this, mountain. This top. Okay. And keep zooming in on it, and there you'll see the terraces. See, wow. All that is is ancient. None of that is recently done. It looks wow. like a road made with a bulldozer, but. It's bulldozing through old terraces <laughs> that are ancient. Wow, that's incredible. Yeah. And there are several other 
even better examples of it there. But all so those lines are ancient. Wow. Just an old civilization there. Yeah. Incredible. That's amazing. Uh, if you want to look at, if you zoom out and then go look at the north side of the mountain. Okay, let's go out. And then this, you have this in your, your um, article. So this is all one kind of long mountain, right? That's right. Okay. It's about 6,000 feet high. Well, if you look at the valley on the north side, kind of zoom in on the a little bit farther north of your cursor. Middle north, okay. There you go. You see those lines that look like a grid? It looks like a checkerboard. Yes. Yeah. You can. Those things also are ancient. They're perfectly north, south, east, and west, and they cover a, a very large area north of that mountain. And in a few cases, they've been turned into modern roads, but in many cases, you can see where... Um, other things have been built on top of them or um, erosion down the slope has buried them. And I believe that that, well, I'm not really sure why they did it, <laughs> but I think that was done by the same people who, who basically are associated with what I think is the arc site. I think that's wow, done that's by incredible. the Cree pottery. And it means that they knew how to do surveying. Right. Now, if we can find one of the geoglyphs is near that, uh, it's just, down to the left um, a little bit. Try zooming in right about there. Okay, and now move your cursor down a little bit. Right about there, zoom in a little bit more. It's somewhere near that bend in the road. Uh, south of the road a little bit, south. I'm meaning down. Right uh, nope, it's down, there you go, right there, right at the bottom. Oh, right here? That's it. That's, that's the it. first one I noticed. Okay. You can zoom in on it better. And I, I noticed that and I realized that that was, to, that was definitely man-made and um, thought maybe it was just a hill fort, but there's a line there that extends out from it. Right, you can see it. And it actually points directly at the site on the mountaintop from three miles away. Wow. Um, now, if you zoom out again, we can find there's another one. Um, so zoom out a bit more. Now go about, yeah, a little further down. And just to the left, is due left of that marker that says Karakadag. If you go, now go further left, a little more, a little more. Okay, we're getting close. Stop right there and let it, let it clarify for a second. Okay, go a little further left. And right around there, we should be able to find the rectangle. So that right there, no. That's not it, but we're, we're close. Um, it's always hard so to find. Mm -hmm. That's related. It's, it's up. Try to look going up a little bit, up a little bit more and right a little bit. <laughs> There's a okay. circle there. Is that, that circle? There? Yeah, that's one of them. So that's the one that had the letters in it and just to the okay. south of it. So these are all ancient. Yes. Now so just zoom out a little bit right there. Just zoom out a little bit. And there's this, there it is. You see the rectangle down below? It looks like Microsoft yes, Windows. Yes, I do. Mm -hmm. Bill Gates apparently was What's here there? before. <laughs> it looks just it's like perfect. a Windows logo. It's perfectly square. It's if you measure it, it's slightly off from perfectly square, but the um, it's perfectly tilted at thirty degrees from true north. And in the middle, there's a little circle, and the circle right, has two symbols in it. It's a curve and a squiggle. And I think 
that this is a symbol for that's a symbol of the earth and what they're telling telling us is that they divided the earth into four quarters that they wow. um they divided the earth amongst themselves about 100 years after the flood and if we zoom out again and so if this is the place where they made that treaty there's probably up on the mountaintop there's some kind of a record of the division of the earth and who got what now there's one more geoglyph to the south that can be interpreted as Noah's Ark. So go down a little bit. We're going to go, don't zoom in, but just keep moving down southward. Yep. And it should be getting close to there. Okay, there, we're close. Now zoom out just a little bit because it's it's on Zioret Creek. So you just passed it. So it's on Zioret Creek, which is here. What's its shape? It looks like a long rectangle with little uh, subdivisions of it. This is the one I have the hardest time finding sometimes. But it's not it's, through present day stuff. It's right. I think you're zooming over it and you're just moving too quickly. That We need to move slowly. And uh, okay. it's to the south of Zioret Creek. Try zooming in a little bit. And well, I may, I, may, I may have to send you a link to it. Okay. Yeah, you can see it in the article, and in the article, it also gives the coordinates. So if you want to look it up, or if any of your readers or listeners want to look it up, they can um, just read the article, find the table, and uh, you can go look up this stuff yourself. So I think my hypothesis about this is about 100 years after the flood, they divided the earth among themselves. And at that point, there was a rebellion, and the rebellion was led by Cush and his son Nimrod, and they did not want to scatter over the surface of the earth. They wanted to have a high-tech society, a high-tech civilization. And if everybody went off to their inheritance, it would take them a lot longer to get enough people to be able to get back to the level of technology that they knew was possible, because Noah and his three sons had, had seen that world before the flood. So they went to the east about 50 kilometers from there, and they, I believe, uh, built the Tower of Babel. Gotcha. Um, but I think while that was going on, the Bible says that, that Nimrod was mighty against Jehovah, or mighty against Yahweh. And I think that means that he was fighting against the worship of, of Yahweh. So I'm pretty sure that the reason those geoglyphs are there, and that they're only on the west side of the mountain, they're on the north and the west side, is that probably um, Shem and Noah stayed behind and the altar was up there on top. And they wanted to leave markers so that people in the future would not forget um, that this is where people were delivered from the flood. So I suspect that those three, there's actually, in addition to the three big ones, there are about 15 little of those circle geoglyphs that have symbols in them. And they're in a writing that I don't, I can't recognize some form of writing. So um, it, the theory is that Noah did not want this to be forgotten. And so they, they use geoglyphs to mark the place. Right. So. And that's fascinating. And that happens in old ancient, uh, you know, cultures. It's not just here. There's stone pillars. There's geoglyphs all over um, South America. So they're not unknown to those kind of, you know, Neolithic cultures. Exactly. Yes. Yeah. 
And so where, yeah, how do you want to go from there? There's geoglyphs, there's clearly ancient uh, square, there's, you know, they're putting, they're surveying the land. Um, but well, do you kind of have an, a possible actual site, right? Yeah, let's zoom in on that. You zoom in on your marker. Which, oh, yeah, okay, I see you didn't mark it exactly. I didn't. That's close. just the mark that the map gave me. Let's, I think it was like, let's see. Where if you can find the base, there you go. The road and the base is right there. So it turns out the U.S. Air Force built a base up here. <laughs> and that's a radar. That's a radar. Um, what you would call a... Uh, Air defense. It's an, oh, air the middle one is an air defense radar. The southern hilltop, they built a TV station. And on the north one, they built a, a weather radar. Okay. Well, it turns out that that um, if you zoom... Oops. Sorry. That's okay. If you zoom in on the radar, between the two radars, there's a tomb, and they didn't even notice it. When I went there, the people who... The soldiers on the base, they had no idea that was there. And there it's it looks like a cigar that is in three pieces, but if you look carefully, the middle section of that tomb is a, is a, is a square. And it happens to be oriented to, to the um, sunrise on the winter solstice. Hmm. So that is just a pile of rocks, but it's on the ridge of the mountain in a saddle there. And then if you look to the right of it, about 300 meters downhill to the right, there's a debris field. And uh, the first few times I looked at it, I completely, I just thought it was something, some kind of mess having to do with um, what the military was doing on the mountain. But later um, I, I noticed that it actually seems to have a relationship to the tomb. <clears throat> And then I noticed that if you take those three patches, so that's the remains of a school that was built in 1928 by the Turks. And after, um, I guess they abandoned it after about 20 years, they were using it to teach shepherd kids how to, how to speak Turkic because um, the uh, president of Turkey named Ataturk, he basically forced the whole country to change from using Arabic to using um Latin letters. And so he built 28,000 schools all over the country and taught everybody, kids and adults, how to read and write the Turkic language in Latin letters. So when the Air Force came to build that Air Force base in 1967, they found that school was still standing. I actually have a picture of it that hmm. they gave me. And they used that as a, a barracks for two years while they built this radar base on the mountaintop. The hilltop is 300 it's about 300 feet higher than the that little uh, down here gotcha. field. and then when they were done they didn't want someone sneaking up at night and using that as a base to shoot at them so they they demolished it using explosives and <laughs> there's pieces of it all over the place um so what you have now is just a debris field of concrete rebar bricks and um strangely this these white the, there are, there's white river gravel mixed in amongst it which I suspect may have been the reason why it got built there in the first place. So my, after studying that thing for about a year, <laughs> trying to figure out what I, what I had stumbled onto up there, the best theory I could come up with is that either that was a temple that had been collapsed in ancient times and whoever got the contract to build that thing, to, to build the school, 
they basically just built it right on top of the remains of whatever temple was there, if, if there was that. Or it may have actually been the remains of the Ark had rotted away and there was nothing left but gravel. Because if you're going to build a ship that's going to carry a bunch of hay and animals, um, it needs something heavy in the bottom to make it sit low enough in the water that it doesn't uh, rock with every wave and make everybody seasick. All right. Ballast. Exactly. So what's the cheapest way to get ballast? Well, probably uh, river gravel, sand. Um, ancient ships used stones. They would use stones like the size of a watermelon because they could be easily picked up and thrown to load the ship or unload it. Um, I don't think they were planning to unload this one. So my theory is that the ark rotted away and what was left behind was these three big patches of gravel. And that later they came and um, built a school on top of it. Right. And you overlay the dimensions of the ark with this, right? And it's proportional. It's roughly proportional, correct? Yes. It fits It fits the, the ark if it was using the Egyptian royal cubit, which is a little longer than the Hebrew cubit. But it. I basically took a picture of uh, the ark encounter that Answers in Genesis built in Kentucky because they mm -hmm. built it to the exact dimensions. And I just... I just overlaid, uh, it. overlaid it to scale, obviously, and it fits. So it sounds, I think that out of the whole theory, that is the hardest part to believe, frankly. Um, it's not a conclusion that I wanted to come to, but it seemed to match the situation. And the only way I could justify it, why in the world would it be cut in three pieces, would be if there was something really big inside of there that they needed to get out and they couldn't just cut a hole and pull it out to the side very easily. Um, so that is entirely theoretical. And I don't know if that's, I don't, I, I don't know for sure that's the site. Um, but that's my theory as to a possible explanation for it. And you've been to the site though too, right? Like yes. Been, yes. And has, has this uh, tomb been excavated ever? No, it, to my knowledge, it has not. Thankfully, they didn't know it was there. Uh, a lot of other sites on the mountaintop are actively being looted right now. Oh, wow. um, like there's one that's about a mile south of this. There's another um, tomb. Just one mile. It's just right there, right where your cursor is. Zoom in there. Um, it's a little bit north of that, a little bit north of that. Right, okay, see, it looks like a... That's it right there. That's a pile of rocks, but it's kind of a hexagon shape. Um, I went and visited. It's very obviously a man-made uh, tumulus tomb, but you could see where somebody had driven an excavator on top and they had dug a hole down through the middle. So someone very recently had, had tried to loot that thing. Um, the same was happening at the other sites on the mountain that were obviously... Um, the shepherds there have been digging holes and trying to find... They say they've been finding stuff. Um, so there's stuff up there. Right. But, and Gobeli Tepe is not that far away, right? You're right. You want to look at that? It's just yeah, to the southeast. You don't even need it. You're almost there already on the map you have. Oh, okay. There you go. Go southeast a little bit. Right there. Oh. So that's, that's yeah. kind of known. Yeah. Now, Gobeli Tepe ties into the Bible, too. The city closest to it, just 10 miles away, is called Urfa, Sanli Urfa. And that the old name of it is uh, Urfa Kassadim, which means Ur of the Chaldees. And 
most um, Christian archaeologists have been looking in Iraq. There's a city there called Ur that a guy named Leonard Woolley found in the 30s, and he excavated it, and he popularized that as Ur, where Abraham came from. But Abraham, we're told that he, his father left Ur and then went and built, stopped in a, in a place called Haran. Well, Haran is right there, just 20 miles south of Urfa. And there's a couple other little old cities around there with names from um, relatives of, of Abraham's family. So Cyrus Gordon was a, a Jewish professor. I think he was at Yale. And he studied this question. And he basically proved from the Ebla tablets that Stanley Urfo is the city that was known as ur Kazdim, which is the Bible word for Ur of the Chaldees. Wow. And so my, my theory of of what go Beckley Tepe is, is we're told that um, Abraham learned the knowledge of the heavens. We're not told that in the Bible, but we're told that by Josephus and a, a number of other sources say that Abraham knew the knowledge of the heavens. And when he went to Egypt, he, what made him valuable to the Pharaoh was that he was able to instruct them on astronomy. And Gobekli Tepe was an observatory. And I suspect that Gobekli Tepe is where Abraham learned the knowledge of the heavens from his great 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 grandfather Arphaxad. So Arphaxad is the son of Shem, who's the father of all the Semitic peoples. And Arphaxad, if you, it's basically A R P A X A D, but it basically his name is Urfa Kasad or Ur Urfa Kasadim. It means Ur of the Chaldees. <laughs> Wow. So, so I suspect that Gobekli Tepe was our Faxad's observatory and that that's the story behind it. Um, and obviously what I'm saying is from a biblical perspective and believing that the world is 6,000 years old and that um, all the stuff that we're told is 10,000, 100,000 years old is not really that old. So I suspect that the pre-Pottery Neolithic um, that they actually flourished from around 2300 BC down to about uh, 1800 BC at the latest. So, I mean, it's pretty remarkable that all this stuff has been there, but they haven't found it and they, they haven't looted it all yet. I mean, it's, it really is. They're on land that has been covered with multiple civilizations over time, much like Absolutely. Israel too. Yeah. yeah, except the mountaintop. The mountaintop has pretty much been... There was the original 100 years after the flood that they lived up there. And after that, nobody, I'll tell you why. <laughs> that mountain is totally covered in rocks. If you this wanted to start farming anywhere on earth, that is the worst place you could pick to start being a farmer. <laughs> right. Amazing. And how far is the different distance between Gobeli, Gobekli Tepe and um, Karakadog? You know? I think it's about 50, about 50 miles. 50, so it's not that far. It's fairly close. Yeah. Like Gabelli, Gobekli Tepe, people are saying, you know, that's like one of the earliest known sites of human civilization. Yep, it's a, it's one of the pre-pottery Neolithic A uh, sites. So, yeah. and that's what we're saying is we're saying the pre-pottery Neolithic A is the, the culture of the Tower of Babel. It's the first two centuries, two or three centuries after the flood. It's incredible, and it makes perfect sense that the name Ararat would be changed so. These people have moved. They kept same same names, and this seems much more. Um, that's the original era. Karakadog is the original era. Makes sense. 
Because these the Armenian people were all through this area for a long time. Exactly. Before, yeah, before genocides and wars and stuff like that. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, I think that you're putting together some really fascinating facts. That this is just a Neolithic site is off the charts. That they did such a good job of demarcating this. Like, I mean, I've seen lines and markings like this here in uh, north of Los Angeles that are just as skilled and tight, you know, as these are. Yeah. Well, I think something that never really occurred to me until I looked at this stuff was we're told that they divided the world after the flood. And a lot of people had misinterpreted that as meaning that the continents were separated. But I think it was a division of inheritance. And of course, it makes sense that the Bible teaches the patriarchal um, teaching on inheritance is that the land is divided amongst your sons, but you divide it into the number of sons you have plus one. And the firstborn son gets the double portion. So if Noah had three sons, then he would have needed to survey the world to some degree and then divide the world into four quarters. And each of his sons would get one, but then the firstborn or the son of the promise would get a double portion. So, and how did you come across this Karaka dog originally? I mean, did you just happen upon it or were you really just <laughs> I, trying to look? I was looking at Google Earth. I was looking at the site just to the, to the, to the east side of it where I think the Babel site is. Oh, gotcha. And part of my test of a Babel site is that I think I was expecting that um, an arc site should be either east or west of it. So I just was checking east and west of my Babel site and I noticed this mountain and then I noticed geoglyphs. And then I started researching it and found that there are a whole lot of different types of evidence that all point to this mountain. You have biology with the plants and the grapes, and you have archaeology with the pre-pottery Neolithic. And then you have, we, we, there's a table in the article where we looked at what the church fathers had said about the Ark and ancient, ancient, other ancient witnesses. And we did a checklist from Mount Ararat. We, we did, we compared four different potential arc sites, and this one got the majority of them, uh, got the green check. It had the highest score. It's between the Tigris and Euphrates River. It's on the headwaters. You can see that, I think that's the Tigris, or is that the Euphrates and the other one? Yeah, the Euphrates is there. on the left, and the Tigris is on the right. Gotcha. So it's there, yeah. Yeah. Incredible. Yeah, it's amazing. I mean... People have to take a look at this before it all gets looted. I mean, that's the bad thing is that the same thing happened in Central America. The, when people found out that these art, artifacts are worth a fortune, they just went through a lot of those tombs and digging and trying to sell them on the black market. So, Yep, that's absolutely happening there right now. I'm sorry to say. Um, another thing that's interesting is it ties into the Epic of Gilgamesh, and it, it ties into some of um, your studies on Aleister Crowley. How's that? Um, well, if you look at the way of Cain versus the way of Seth, Seth was the faithful son of Adam who worshipped Jehovah or Yahweh. And um, Noah was the survivor of the line of Seth. And the line of Seth were the men who survived the flood. But apparently um, Ham married Naama, who was the last survivor of the line of Cain. And so she was on the ark too. And she appears to have been very bitter that her family was destroyed. And so there is a substantial body of evidence that suggests that she was the one who started stirring up trouble, instigating Ham against Noah. And then later um, 
her son Kush, and then her grandson Nimrod. And Gilgamesh appears to have been her youngest son. Uh, in the epic, he's it's said that he is um, he's the son of a goddess, and that that's why he's said to be half god and half half man or a demigod. Well, what does he do? He goes up to this mountain to destroy Huawa. And Huawa is the name of this guardian creature that guards this place on a mountain called the Land of the, of the Living. And later in the epic, it also says Huawa is the god who sent the flood. Um, or it, it kind of, if you, if you read the whole epic, you can start to pick up that this whole thing is about getting revenge on the god who sent the flood. And I believe that what his goal, what he was doing was he went to the land of the living, which is the place where the altar was and the ark was, which I believe was probably a the, the world's first national park. It was a sanctuary for the animals to repopulate the earth where there was no hunting allowed. And he goes up there with his friend and 50 men and he kills somebody at at the place that was where the altar was. And he says he uncovered the sacred dwellings of the Anunnaki. And the Anunnaki is what the Sumerians called the eight gods who uh, were the primary gods. But I think that they can be recognized as the eight passengers of the ark. They deified the ancestors as gods. And so he says when he goes up there, he found the throne of Ishtar on this mountain and he found the sacred dwellings of the Anunnaki. And then he chops down the trees and kills the kills the um, the guardian. So I think that Huawa was a name for Jehovah. It's it's the name of Yahweh, and that he was claiming he went to the mountain where the ark landed, and he went to the altar of Yahweh, and he killed. He says he killed Yahweh, but really he probably killed a priest. And then he comes back and he tells his mother, and she is happy, happy. She's the goddess Ishtar, and she. She's so happy she wants to marry him. (laughs) And he's like, no way. (laughs) So anyway, that that leads to uh, the tragedy in the end of the book. But the point being that I believe that Ishtar is based on Niyama and that she was she hated the God who sent the flood and that her son, youngest son, Gilgamesh, went up there to wreak vengeance for her. And that is why she was so happy when he came back. Interesting. So that all ties together, and um, obviously there's a lot of mixing and matching of various myths and history there to form this particular, uh, I guess, formulation of it. And I may be proven to be wrong about some of these things. But. Well, they should check it out. I mean, there's been <laughs> other there's been other Ark, uh, you know, expeditions of all not yeah Noah's Ark. The Ark of the Covenant, right? So there, you know, people are, have been looking around for them, but this looks seems very plausible. The other ones that are supposedly on Ararat, which doesn't make as much sense, to be honest with you. The present day, what the Armenians call Ararat, doesn't make as much sense. Yeah, you've got one of your subscribers is asking if we have thoughts on Ron Wyatt's Ark findings. Um, so yeah. there's about six to eight different Ark sites, of, and they're kind of like football teams. You know, everybody has a favorite one. And it's kind of a funny thing about it is when you think you find a new one and you try to tell people about it, a lot of people are like, oh, no, we've already found it. It's this one. (laughs) And that's fine. And until um, I think until an archaeology exploration is done, 
that no one can really be sure that any of these sites is the right one. Um, Ron Wyatt's site is, it looks to me like a rock formation. Um, it's, it's outside the pre-pottery Neolithic A, and so is uh, Mount Ararat. They're both about 100 miles north of the um, distribution of the pre-pottery Neolithic A. So for me, what was guiding me, what even enabled me to find the site was I said, let's look at where the oldest known human settlements have been found and let's look right. there. And that's what led us to the site. Um, those sites are kind of up on a volcanic plateau and I don't know, the geologists actually tend to say that all these sites were, were very late in the flood or even maybe after the flood. So I'm not sure about the geology, but you know, I, it makes sense. It makes sense. I mean, it makes more sense with the biblical thing, right? Cause uh, the ark is supposed to fall in between the two rivers, right? Well, it doesn't, it doesn't say that, but the, some of the church fathers said that right. some of the people who thought they knew where it was, they said that they had visited it and you could go up there and get pieces of, of bitumen from it. Um, they were saying that it was only about 50 miles from the Tigris and only about 50 miles from the Euphrates. And this site happens to be right in between the two of them. Almost exactly that far. Yes. Almost exactly. Yes. Remarkable. And so where's the best place? I mean, is there anything you'd like to add or anything I missed before we wrap up the discussion or um, anything if, you'd like to summarize? It, you, it's pretty easy of a site to get to, but you should just, anybody who thinks they might want to go visit should be aware that it's technically on the military base. And if you just go up there and start filming, they will come out and arrest you. So um, I had gotten um, permits before I went and, and that kept us out of trouble, but we, <laughs> we ended up spending three hours waiting for them to call every, every, um, I guess, agency that had issued us a permit in the country. They checked every single one of them. And once they all came out um, valid, then they said, well, we wish you well, and they tried to help us. Um, so just so you know. <laughs> gotcha. Be careful. Don't get in trouble with the authorities. Don't end up in a Turkish prison, right? Yeah. There's, there's a lot of ways to get killed up there. Gotcha. And uh, where's, where's the best place for people to reach out to you if they're interested, Ken? Or how can they contact you? Um, I have an, a webpage at academia.edu. I have a profile there. And, and I have actually a copy of these two papers there as well as some other chronology papers there. So you can, if you're interested in this, you could go to academia.edu, look up Ken Griffith, or, or even look up for this paper. You could search the name of the paper and it'll come up. And then you could just um, <clears throat> follow me and you can click to send me a message if you want to talk. Gotcha. Cool. So people can reach out to you through academia.edu and I will put that in the show notes. But what we discussed today with Ken Griffith is an article that he wrote. And the title of that article with all this information is Candidate Site for Noah's Ark, Altar and Tomb. So thanks so much for your time, Ken. I appreciate it. Thank you, William. Wish you the best. Yeah, likewise. Stay there. Stay there.